Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Good morning, everybody. Good morning online, too. As Aaron just said, I'm going to talk about Christian hope today. And just to start uh, thinking about that, when we say Christian hope, is that different from other hope, other people's hope? People that are not Christians, and of course we could think of all kinds of situations for that, but if we think about some other religions, let's just back st- uh, take one step back there. Can you live without hope? If you don't have hope in something to keep you going, where do people go? Well, the opposite of hope is despair. And when people are in despair, they're in this pit of hopelessness. And one of the things that's come out of COVID is a spike in suicide. And, of course, we've adapted that into our culture through making death easier to have administered to yourself. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but why would we do that? Because people in our culture have lost hope. One of the Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. Without a vision, a nation perishes. We could extend that to a a culture. So here's uh, one of the other Proverbs that deals with hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Just think about how you go through your life. Every day when you get up, whether you say so or not, you're hoping for something. You're hoping for a good day. You're hoping for good weather. You're hoping that whatever you're going to do today is going to prosper, is going to go well. And to get through a day, we need just those micro doses of hope. And then we have you know, medium-term goals and hopes, and you try to achieve those. And then you have long-term ones. Now, Christian hope applies to all of those. As Christians, we have a hope that Aaron was referring to this morning in the worship. The worship was going down that road, and the whole idea of communion is based on our hope in Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper together, it's based on a common hope. We, as Christians, as a body, have a hope together. We may not share all the same hopes in our immediate lives, but our long-term hope is one. That's what brings us together into a community. It's what makes us church. The word church sometimes doesn't really convey what's behind it. The Greek word ecclesia, which we translate as church in English, refers to the assembly of God's people, the family, 
they're coming together. It's a body. And so we use, and perhaps a little better way of looking at it would be the body, the body of believers, because that's what church is, as you know. Like, we don't have a building here, but we're church. You don't need a building to be church. Having a church building does not make a church. When we don't have hope, the heart becomes sick. But the opposite is the fulfillment which brings life. A couple of other scriptures dealing with this, and some of these might not be immediately evident as to what they have to do with hope, but they have everything to do with hope. There's so many, so many references and uh, paths we could take thinking about this subject, but uh, these are some that I love. And... So you can see what they are. The first one up there is from Romans 8, which is one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. And the whole book of Romans is, is so, uh, so dense. But in this one, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. This is a paradox. You think about that. Has anybody in here never had any suffering in your life? What a rhetorical question. Everybody does. Young or old, you've got it, right? You might have some now that's pretty serious, uh, but everybody's got these little things that go on in our lives, and of course, we just have to look around the world to see, as Aaron was referring to earlier, the incredible depths of the suffering that's going on right now. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun, and sometimes we think that whatever is going on in our time, in our lives, is Wow, this is, and in some ways it is different, but there's been suffering all through the history of mankind. The second scripture down there is from Galatians 5, verse 1. The Messiah, this is from the Kingdom New Testament, which is uh, N.T. Wright's translation. The Messiah set us free so that we could enjoy freedom. So stand firm and don't get yourselves tied down again by the chains of of slavery. What's that got to do with hope? Well, Messiah is Jesus. And what Jesus has done, he has set us free. He has set us free. And when we look around, and there's so much talk about freedom, and the desire for freedom, and the need for freedom, and everybody's looking for freedom. But what they're looking for to have that freedom is not an answer that's going to fulfill. Messiah Jesus sets us free so that we can enjoy freedom. And the deeper freedom that we need is not found in politics and all that kind of stuff. The final passage we'll be looking at a little bit is Colossians 1. 15 to 20. I could have chosen 500 different scriptures for this, but anyway, these are some of the ones that I think are tremendously good. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all, crea all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers and authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The word hope is not in there, but I hope you can see it. That's full of it. It's full of hope. Because who is it that we are putting our faith and our trust in? It's this Christ, the anointed one sent by God. He is the answer. Is the answer in our lives as we know, if you've given your, your heart to Jesus, you know he's your hope. He set you free from, in your situation, you name it. But he set you free from that. And what we can look forward to is the full revelation of this. This is who he is. When he was here on earth, it was veiled. He did it deliberately because if we were seeing this when he was here on earth, if the disciples were seeing this, they would have been paralyzed. You imagine if Jesus walked around like he was at the transfiguration the whole time he was here on earth. Who could have done anything, you know, except for just bow down? So what he did was he veiled himself, but this is really who he is, who he always was when he was here on earth. Paul says we see through a veil darkly. Well, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, through, through a glass darkly. I'm, I'm quoting the King James. That's the way I remember that one. But what we're going to do is see face to face. So, the culture we live in is drowning in hopelessness. I mean, you just have to look at what's going on and you see it everywhere. All these questions are being asked. Whom can you trust? And if you're a parent, and there's a whole bunch of parents in here, right? There's probably just about almost everybody in the room is a parent. Whether you're an older parent or a younger parent with little kids or grown-up kids or whatever, okay? And there's a bunch of grandparents sitting here too. But one of the things that we all hope for when we're having children, and it changes a little bit when your children all grow up, you can, but you hope for all these wonderful things for your kids. But the way we're looking at things now, people are asking these questions. As a grandparent, I think about my grandkids this way. My kids are all pretty much established now in terms of their own situations. But what are the prospects for a better future for them? This is kind of scary, isn't it? They've got to find their way to hope, too. But this is, this is what we're going to talk about here. When we get behind all of this stuff, where do you go? Some people have, when you're growing up, you know, and when you're thinking about where you're going to go, you're hoping for this wonderful relationship that's going to last your whole life. But a lot of the times what we find, and this is, a, you know, you just have to look at separation rates, divorce rates, breakup rates, family breakdown, all that kind of stuff. Wow. 
The statistics are overwhelming. Governments are, seem paralyzed, they can't solve anything, and you just have to look around like how they're failing to deal with the stuff that's going on. That is absolutely horrendous stuff that's going on that's not being dealt with. They're paralyzed with fear. Or maybe something worse. The culture, I mean, you see the list here. I, I, you know, this is just, uh, but what we see when we get to the bottom of this list as many of you young people are losing hope, losing hope that they're going to have a good life, that they've got a chance, I mean, that they'll even be able to get a house or something to live in, right? Well, like we were saying, there's nothing new under the sun. Just to get a little perspective here, right? and this is, as a historian, I do this all the time. But persecutions and injustice and oppression are not new. They've been around ever since we have records in history. Even ancient societies, you see it like in, in you read the old, uh, the translations of the cuneiform tablets from Mesopotamia like 4,000 years ago and you see the same issues. Like when people talk about their personal situation, the, the king is a tyrant, you know, everything's terrible and you know, he's killing people and like, yeah. Um, we think it's a new thing. Maybe it's, it's worse perhaps now than it ever has been. I don't know. It's hard to gauge that. But the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and the people at the bottom are oppressed and hopeless. But we go back through history, I mean, like one quarter to one third of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. They, they were slaves. In Athens, ancient Athens, the so-called model of ancient democracy, half of the population were slaves. Did they have hope? The people who had the hope were people on the top, right? Slavery and subjection to arbitrary law, that's not new. So, what about our time? Well, there is something different and special about our time. And it has, it's, it's, it's a hiccup in history, really, when you think about it. And it's not even the whole world that's enjoying this thing that I'm talking about here. For the last 100 years or so, a significant portion of the human population of our precious cosmic jewel, planet Earth, has broken free from much of the big problems listed on the previous slide or two. To a large extent, not totally, not ever, you know, never is, nothing is ever complete that way. And have been able to move into something never seen before, a society uh, where there was real, and still is to some extent, real significant freedom from many of those things that we were looking at there. I'm talking about the civilization that we call the West. If you look around at the other civilizations that are out there, Guys, they don't have it. They've never had it. This is unique. It is absolutely special in history, what's happened in something that we call the West today. We're talking about Europe and the countries that have been derived out of the European civilization. You know, they're just spread around the world here and there, and the influence of it has, you know, gone worldwide to some extent. But these things that we call the freedoms that are our rights and all of that, these precious things have only come here. More equality, equity, et cetera, et cetera. 
Okay? And what we're seeing happening, perhaps, is it's all unraveling. Gradually. All right. So there's a road, okay, this is a little blip about how, maybe not so much now. I think this is beginning to change. But typically, when I was a young Christian, we could have heard, heard a lot of these kinds of things, okay? Evangelicals and charismatics have often taught that if you give your life to Jesus, your troubles will all somehow evaporate and go away. Yeah? You'll have financial success, you'll have career success, and you just have to ask God and you'll get it. Right? Name it and claim it. You know, things like that. And I know that maybe we didn't all end up going that way, but Jesus, you know, the doctrine is that Jesus wants you to be prosperous, and I'm not saying that he doesn't. But you don't automatically get it. And if you don't have these things, you must be a loser. A loser in your faith. Must be because you don't have enough faith. You've got sin in your life. Because you've got a pride problem, and you need to stop and become mature. You've got unforgiveness in your life, and maybe that's true. But you get bogged down, and you feel like, I can never please God, you know, and all that. So there, the point is that there's something blocking you from get these things. Well, you want to know something? Scripture doesn't really teach that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely you got to get rid of sin in your life. You got to deal with unforgiveness. But does that stop? If let's say you deal with all that stuff, let's say you get your life, you know, fixed. Do you stop having suffering? Do you stop having troubles? Is that what happened to Job? Right? We know the answer to that is no. The typical pattern of what happens to people when they don't have hope. We have these goals, we have these aspirations, and we don't get them. Or maybe you get them personally, and they don't seem to pan out to be what you were hoping for. That goes on long enough, we end up in discouragement. Discouragement because, you know, I must be a loser, negative self-image, and you give up. Why keep on trying? In the Christian life, they we're in a real dangerous point there. We could end up in spiritual defeat. which brings on another kind of hopelessness. And we just said that before. Hopelessness leads to depression. Depression leads to despair. Now, we have the means within our faith and our relationship with God to overcome all of that, to not get trapped in it. But most people in our culture don't. They're adrift. They have no anchor or whatever they're using as an anchor gives way. They discover they put, got a pile of money, but that didn't work. Like some of the most desperate and most hopeless and most are the rich, the ultra-rich. They have no vision beyond self-fulfillment. 
and part of what's going on with our kids is that they're being told that, you know, just do that stuff and you'll be happy. You'll be fulfilled. You'll find yourself, your true self, and all that kind of stuff. So how do we overcome? How do we deal with this stuff? Jesus and the apostles told the believers, do not live like those who have no hope. And they were talking about the pagans of the culture that they were in at that time. Don't live like those people. If you're putting your aspirations in the same direction as what our culture is telling you is going to fulfill you, you'll find out it doesn't work. Like I said, you can, you can become rich and find out that all that money hasn't fulfilled you at all. You can become famous. You can become, you know, whatever you want, super athlete, whatever at all. And you see the despair in these people's lives, the, the total breakdown. When we're hopeless, we do really stupid and rash things to try to fill the hole. The scriptures call that making shipwreck, shipwreck of your life. So our idea of a smooth ride to glory if we just trust Jesus is not there in scripture. I'm going to just skip a little bit through here. Unforgiveness, problem of sin, there's a straightforward remedy in scripture. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9, full stop. Is there a condition on that? Well, confess your sins, right? And you want forgiveness, confess. Because when you do, Jesus will forgive. The Father will forgive. You may have to make another step. Like, you may have to go to somebody that you've committed the sin against besides God, right? And do some reconciliation and confession. That's really important. If, there, if the, the issue is something like that, but if you want to be free, talking about freedom, that has to happen. I mean, you can go to God and get forgiveness, and he will forgive you, but he'll probably tell you, you need to deal with that. You need to go to that person. You have to make that right. You have to confess to them that you wronged them. That's, of course, often hard to do. And then the second, the second part of that is to forgive yourself. If you're like me, sometimes I have a really, really hard time forgiving myself for things I've done. Especially if I've done them to people, well, if I've done them to people, but especially if I've done them to people I care deeply about. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough if you do them to somebody else, but, but you have to do that. And once that's done, Isaiah 118, if your sin is as red as scarlet, I will make it white as snow. God takes it and he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. So if he's done that, then stop remembering it and accusing yourself. I mean, you're, you know, the accuser loves when we do that. Well, going a little uh, st uh, way beyond that, let's, let's say we're starting to deal with the issues of hopelessness that we find all around us, okay? 
one of the challenges we're meeting all the time, one of the challenges we're running up against is what people say about our faith, about our hope. It's all relative. And when you're dealing with people who have a very different point of view than you, it's really hard to communicate with them because they kind of relegate it all into, you know, whatever truth is true for you, that's fine, all that kind of stuff. So one of the things we have to anchor ourselves to is the source of our hope. The source of our hope. Pilate's question to Jesus is kind of representative of the attitude that's out there, right? Oh yeah, truth? What's that? What Jesus told the apostles is where our truth begins. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, and the Father is the creator, Yahweh God, except through me. The counter-argument you hear all the time is, truth is a matter of personal experience and opinion. There's no such thing as absolute truth except that there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? You see the contradiction? When you make a statement like that, you're stating an absolute truth. Like it just contradicts itself as soon as it's out of your mouth, right? I pointed that out to some people that have said that to me and say, well, you just contradicted yourself. What? Yeah, you just told me there's no such thing as an absolute truth, but for you, that's absolute truth. So in other words, what you just said is false. And the other one is all religions are the same place. You want to know something? They don't. No matter what the culture out there is saying, you know, whatever spirituality fits, go for it. Right? Whatever you want to believe, great, because if you believe in some sort of God, they all go to the same place, right? Just stop and think about that for a second. So I'm going to make this uh, naming some things here. And if somebody gets uh, kind of upset by that, well. So, for example, what does a Muslim hope for? A Muslim hopes to make the whole world Muslim. And that's what the religion of Islam is about. It's about bringing the whole world into their faith. Okay? We could go down a long road on that one. What does a Buddhist hope for? A Buddhist helps for release from the cycle. Same thing, it's kind of very similar to what a Hindu hopes for. Release from the cycle of reincarnation. Liberation into nirvana. Disappear into the ocean of being. What do atheists hope for? I think the most an atheist can hope for, and I'm actually an atheist will say they'll speak for themselves, but the most an atheist can hope for is having a good life here and now, whatever good life means here and now. Statements uh, that people make, like the one about, you know, no such thing as absolute truth, 
The problem is that nobody really believes that. All of our human history and personal um, and scientific experience teaches us that there are real truths, or what Francis Schaeffer called, Francis Schaeffer was an apologist, like a tremendously gifted apologist, theologian of the late 20th century, um, and he said, there are true truths. I mean, the reason he said that, it sounds like a tautology, true truths. Of course there's true truths, because he was differentiating from what people declare to be the truth, which is not. What he's saying is basically there are absolute truths. There are some things that are really good and some things that are really evil. We've seen it in front of our eyes in the last month. And yet the world will not accept it and believe it. Well, the world, quite a few people around it, that they're coming out in public now. One of the things that's happened with, with stuff we're seeing unfolding in front of our eyes, guys, is the masks are coming off. The masks are coming off. We won't go too far there. But that's what's really going on here. The masks are off. You can see what things are. If you want to look, you can see what things really are underneath. Okay? There are true truths. For example, nobody would, and this is a kind of a silly example, but not really. Nobody would be willing to defy the law of gravity by saying, well, that's not absolutely true. Okay, go out and test it. All right? Leap off of some place or, you know, just try it. And we could go down, you know, a whole bunch of different examples like that. I mean, they're absolutely silly, right? No su such thing as an absolute truth. Well, some things you think really are absolute truths because you would never try them. The thing is that in moral and spiritual things, there are also absolute truths. Every human society that's ever existed has said that murder is wrong, theft is wrong, child abuse and adultery are wrong, injustice to the poor and widows and orphans are awful, etc., etc. Okay? People believe, no matter whether they come out of the Christian background, Jewish background, whatever, they believe these things. There must be some kind of absolute it's based on them, and uh, you know, evolutionists will declare that it's you know got something to do with the survival of the fittest or something, or survival of the species. No. The reason these things are true is because every single human being sitting here in this room, alive today, that's ever lived, that ever will live, is made in the image of God. We are made because we have this in our hearts. It's engraved in us. That's how we're made to know that there's things that are right and wrong. There are absolute truths. When you try to live your life as if there are not, you end up in absolute disaster, hopelessness, and despair. That's where you go. So we, as a people of God, as a Christian people, need to live our lives like these things are really true. And that's how we come begin to have an effect of overcoming hopelessness, not only in our own lives, but people see that. So finally, um, not finally, excuse me, there's a couple more after this. The West is very sick at heart, our culture, our civilization. Most of its people are now too, even if they don't see it. It's impossible to escape the hole in your soul. I've got a couple of, uh, ex three examples here from our, our history as Christians, 
they're going spanning 2,000 years almost here, okay? Everybody has a hole in their soul. We are made that way. Well, we've become that way. God didn't make us that way. What happened is that we rebelled. We're talking about we here as a collective because we were included when Adam and Eve rebelled. This is what happened. The presence of God went away from them. The presence of God left a hole in their soul. Their spirit was dead. We have an ache in us. It's part of how we're made now. It's part of what we've become because of sin. We have an ache in the core of our being. We need desperately to know the Creator that made us for Himself, to be in relationship with Him. And the only way we can get rid of that ache is to come to Him. Put ourselves at His feet and say, I'm yours. I belong to you. St. Augustine of Hippo fought God for 30 years. He just absolutely did not want to be a Christian. He was, his mother was a Christian. His dad was a pagan. And she wanted him desperately to become a Christian. He chose the opposite path and went, became a very famous teacher in the Roman Empire. He was a, a tremendous rhetorician, as they called it back then. Uh, had a, a huge reputation as one of the best teachers in the whole Western Roman Empire at the time. But somewhere around the age of 40, he went through a radical conversion. His mother prayed for him for 30 years. She's called St. Monica, if you're curious, okay? Or Monica. The saint, of course, is what happened in the uh, Catholic Church. The, the, uh, but when Augustine was going back over his life as he was approaching the end of it, he wrote his personal story in something in, in a book just called Confessions. We usually the Confessions of St. Augustine. If you're looking for a, a tremendous read about how somebody's personal spiritual journey, wow. Okay, the whole thing is like this huge, long conversation with God. And he goes back to the beginning of his life and he starts conversing with God about that. Okay? And he moves all the way forward to where, when he came to know the Lord. Okay? Anyway, his conclusion was, our hearts, oh, this has been cited over and over, our hearts, O oh Lord, can find no rest till we find our rest in you. Because he tried all kinds of things. And they were all empty. The story of his conversion is, uh, I, we don't really have time to go into it, but uh, like it's, it's just an amazing story. It's kind of like a Paul in the Damas Damascus Road sort of experience for him, okay? Blaise Pascal lived in the 1600s. He was, a, he was a, one of the foremost scientists in uh, the early Enlightenment. Uh, he was, again, a, a scientific uh, genius. Uh, did research he's, like he's um, if you're if you're into math at all higher math and maybe some of you kids are into it and stuff like that you've run into Pascal in your your studies there okay um, and he was one of the first people to research vacuums and things like that I mean, he was he was tremendous genius but he was also tremendously devoted to the Lord 
And he was comparing this to what he was looking at in nature, and he said, man is made with a God-shaped vacuum in his soul. Similar to what Augustine said, but he was just putting it in a little more modern scientific terms. And he was looking around at the, the, the totally vain society around him, the way French culture was at the time. Sounds a lot like ours when you read this stuff. Finally, of course, we've got Paul, who is fighting against Jesus for years, right? Persecuting Christians, leading them to be put to death and stuff like that. Whether he actually personally did it, uh, put people to death, didn't really matter. He was an accomplice in it. And we know what happened to him. Paul was looking to fill the hole in his soul, and Jesus got a hold of him. All right, so we go back to the scriptures here for, for a few minutes, and, I'll, and then I'll finish. So Paul was saying that what we're suffering now, whatever it is, is no, not to be compared with, uh, and then the, uh, with God, what God's got prepared for us, okay? But the suffering that's in creation is, this is the contradiction, has hope built into it. Aaron was referring it to, the, uh, to it this morning with the resurrection. What's the meaning of the resurrection? The meaning of the resurrection is that the hope that's built into us that we can't live without. We have been given the sign, the seal, that God is fulfilling it. That he means to fulfill it completely. Not just a little bit. Not just undo some of the bad stuff. Undo all of it. So we're living this sort of in-between time. Has it started? Well, sometimes it's hard to see. But yes, it has. Look around. It started right here. The stuff we said before. God fixed stuff in your life. He's still fixing stuff in your life. And he's going to keep fixing stuff in your life. As long as you're around, he will. Yeah, I know. We're all going to die or unless Jesus comes back first, right? But that's going to be fixed too. That's what the resurrection's about. Glorious hope. This hope that even all of creation is going to be fixed. It's not about pie in the sky. Yeah, we all hope to go to heaven when we die. Good, good. It's not done then. God's going to make it all right. This world too, not just go to the next one. Because the next and this are going to come together. There's not going to be two things. There's kind of two things now in our thinking because... You know, there's kind of in-between time. If we die, we're waiting for the rest of it. But it's going to happen. Well, in the meantime, we are going to suffer, guys. But when you do, keep those trials in the proper perspective. They're not worth comparing. I know they're really hard. We've all gone through some really hard stuff. We know people that are going through some really hard stuff now. But keep it in perspective. It's not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Glory that will be revealed not just to you, but in you and through you. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay. I've referred to this before when I've spoken. But he wrote an essay. He actually preached a sermon, a um, wonderful sermon, which was all about the glory uh, in, that's around us everywhere, and we, we can't see it. And when he said, when you look around, when, you look, when, you're with your, when you're with believers, 
if you could see what God sees, like if we could see what God sees in each one of us sitting in this room, assuming that we're all, we're all following Jesus, God sees a glorious creature. Not, you know, these bodies that we've got here. It's like kind of like Jesus when he was here on earth. It was all veiled because it would have stopped everybody from doing anything. But God sees a glorious creature. He sees his glory in you. That's what he sees. Occasionally I've had people talk about, you know, like they see spiritual things. You know, they see like angels or something like that. But, I mean, again, if we could see what God sees... And sees the whole. Why? Why is it? Why is that in you? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in everybody here. That's God's seal on you that you are in His glory now. And through you, you know, when when stuff when you do stuff for the Lord, and He's present with you, haven't you seen the glory? Haven't you seen them? The glory just means the manifestation of God's presence. That's what it means. It's the manifestations of God's presence now, wherever. Like when we see God, we see it manifest because we're seeing God. But it's in us too. It's an incredible thing. So all of what creation is frustrated about, it's because it's waiting like it says, for the freedom of the sons of, or the children of God to be manifest. When he returns, we will be liberated and we'll all be brought into that glorious freedom. Apart from Jesus, Christianity offers nothing much which other beliefs do, okay? Like you can get all kinds of, you know, ideas and stuff from other, but what is the central thing of Jesus that is, is Jesus? Without Jesus, Christianity is another option. That's all it is. Jesus is the answer. I mean, you know, you teach this in Sunday school. What's the answer to that question? Jesus, you know. But he is the answer. That's the whole thing. That's why he came, because there was no other answer God could give. I won't go back through that, but that's what that's about. So, as we're, I'll go back up one. As we're concluding, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope that we need. Christ in you is the hope the world needs. That's where our hope is. It's in Jesus and Jesus only. It's in the things that he has done. It's in the resurrection that is the seal of God. And what about the ascension? Just a little blurb about the ascension, okay? Wouldn't you have preferred that Jesus just stayed on earth? You know, the resurrected Jesus just stayed on earth and then, you know, we could have just wrapped it all up there and then, right? So why did he do that? You know, ascended into heaven and left us to clean up, well, not really clean up the mess, but you know what I mean? He left us here. Because how is his glory going to be, and I'm giving a bit of an answer here, I'm just kind of like, I'm thinking about this, okay? The ascension was that, so you could really understand that his glory is in you. So that we could become the vessels that manifest his glory in the world. And he gave that commission to the apostles as he was leaving, right? Going to all the world, 
share, preach, teach, baptize, make disciples, right? All of that is about bringing the glory of God's kingdom into this world now. And as we do that work and wait, at some point, we don't know when, he'll come and finish it. So, I'm just going to conclude with that and say shalom, shalom. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca. Thank you.